Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Well, good morning again and welcome to Christ Church once more. My name is Michael and I'm delighted to be here with you sharing some thoughts from Matthew chapter 5 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Matthew chapter 5. That's where we're going to be camping out. And we are in a series called The Gospel, where we're doing something that's not too fancy. We're just trying to walk through the life of Jesus in chronological order and see what we can learn every step of the way. And today we're going to be unpacking some of his teachings there in the fifth chapter of Matthew. And as you turn there, I've got a question for you. Have you ever had that moment in life where you're just kind of going about your business, doing your thing, uh, you know, going to work, falling in love, putting together furniture, whatever, and you realize you've been like following bad advice or following the wrong instructions like maybe it was some career advice or some relationship advice, or maybe it was, you know, you're putting together a trampoline. You know, you ever been there before? So some friends uh, sold us a trampoline this last spring, and it was great shape, great trampoline, and uh, we were super pumped. It was like our birthday present for our two kids, both of whom were born in the spring, and so we set this, I mean, I'm getting this thing, and we're going to set it up, and it's been wonderful. Like, it's been the greatest purchase ever, right? We're loving it, they're loving it, it's wonderful for everyone. And when I got this thing, you know, we put all the pieces, and they said, hey, we don't have the little paper manual, but you can find it online. I'm like, no big deal, that's probably what I do anyway. So I go home, and I look up the manual online for the size trampoline we got. And um, it says on there, like, you know, it should take X amount of hours to complete it. I'm like, whatever, half that time. That'd be a super dad today, you know. So I'm flying through this thing. And I don't know if you've ever put a trampoline together, but you've probably seen one. And you've got all these little springs, of course, all around the outside of it. And there's tough little boogers. Like, you've got to pull them, you know, taut. And you've got to get them in the hook and the different sides. And you have to space it around so that you make sure that everything is, is uh, kosher. Everything's working well. And so I went through this whole process and got all these springs. There's probably like 50 of them on there. And then I'm like, okay, cool. Now, like, how do I put the net on? You know, because of course we got the one with the net. And I notice at this moment that I look at the instructions and it doesn't say anything about a net. And I'm like, oh, I guess I'm looking at one without a net. So then I close that window, open up another window for the instructions with the same size trampoline with the net. And I read very clearly that you're supposed to be putting the net in place as you put every individual spring on. Yeah. So no joke, like, it's like 1 a.m. by this point, not really, but it felt like it. I'm up there late at night, it's dark outside, and I'm taking, undoing every spring one at a time, hooking the net on and rehooking the thing back on. It took me like twice as long as it's supposed to because I was reading the wrong instructions. So it may not have been a trampoline for you, but have you ever found yourself in a situation where you're like, ah, I was totally listening to the wrong voice? I bring this up because one of Matthew's goals in his gospel, Matthew's one of the biographers of Jesus in the Bible, one of his goals is to help us understand that Jesus is always the best voice we could be listening to. His instructions are always the best instructions to follow. He is our teacher. That's part of what Matthew wants to say. And Matthew does this in a number of ways. He communicates this point that Jesus' instructions are here for us to follow. We're looking at Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which is often called the Sermon on the Mount. And it starts in Matthew 5, where Matthew says that Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down. A couple clues there. He sat down, which may seem a little strange to us. Usually when somebody's teaching us in our culture, they're standing up. In their culture, you would often sit down. And that was a signal that, you know, the teaching time was here. So it's a way of saying he's a teacher. Also, it says he's on a mountainside. Now, I've had the privilege of looking at and standing on the place where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm just going to tell you, it's not actually a mountain. It's like maybe big enough to be called a hill, okay? It's just not that big. 
Now, Matthew calls it a mountain, not because he's trying to trick us or because he's really bad at geology, but because he's trying to make a point. Because when he says Jesus goes up on a mountainside, you think back and you go, oh, there was this guy, right? Like Moses, isn't that his name? And he went up on a mountain and he came back down with these instructions from God about how to live called the 10 commandments. That's why Matthew says that. And you start to think when you think about these things, maybe what Matthew is saying is that Jesus is kind of like Moses in a way. And if you back up and look at Matthew's gospel as a whole, that point is actually reinforced. If you were to lay Matthew's gospel out on the ground and kind of take a bird's eye view of it, what you would notice is you have alternating sections where you have action all grouped together and then teaching and then action and then teaching and then action and then teaching, kind of like pillars. And there are five bodies of teaching in the gospel of Matthew. The Sermon on the Mount is the first one. Think back to the Old Testament, this guy Moses, the great lawgiver, the teacher of Israel, He wrote five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, together called the Torah, which means instruction. Matthew is laying out his story of Jesus in part to say that Jesus is a new and greater Moses. Jesus is your teacher. So I just want to begin by recognizing that this is a major part of what Matthew wants us to do, to let Jesus be our teacher. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. We've been reinforcing this here and there. Let Jesus be our teacher. Jesus is so many things for us. He does so many things for us. He's God. He shows us what God is like. He is the true human. He shows us what it means to be a human being in the very best ideal sense. He's our savior. He died for our sins so that we might be reconciled to God even though we deserve judgment. He's our Lord. He's the one we submit to and obey all these things. But I would suggest to you that you won't experience the fullness of the gospel unless you also learn to let Jesus be your teacher. It's true for all of us. We will only be experiencing a part of what God wants for us until we learn to let Jesus actually be the one that guides the way we live. And not just for us either, but we'll also only help God's mission to the extent that we learn to let Jesus instruct us on how to go about our daily lives. I was thinking about this this last week and I remembered a quote from Brennan Manning. He said this probably 10, 15, 20 years ago now. And it became famous from the day he said it. Brennan Manning once said, maybe you've heard this before, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him with their lifestyle. That, he says, is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. I don't know if it's the greatest single cause of atheism then or now, but I do know that it doesn't help When we say, Jesus, 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 but don't actually do what he says, you know? Hearing the teachings of Jesus, knowing the teachings of Jesus, but not doing them doesn't do any good. It's like staring at a bottle of antibiotics. I know that thing would make me well, take care of my symptoms as well as the underlying cause, but I'm just going to look at it. Let's say you have this bottle there and the doc gave it to you and you're like, this is the wonder drug. I have the greatest doctor in the world. But if you don't actually crack the lid and take the medicine, what's the point of saying you have the greatest doctor in the world? Why are we acting like we respect him so much, you know? So the question of the day is, will we actually let Jesus tell us how to live? Will he be our teacher? Will we sit at Jesus' feet? That's the question. Now, the problem is that Jesus has competitors, competition. That's the problem. It's true then, it's, 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 it's true now. Like there's always these other voices, right, that come into our lives, come from around us and say, no, this is how you should live. This is a vision for life. Listen to what I'm telling you to do. And this is not a new thing. That was the case in Jesus' day as well. 
when Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount, it's not just like nobody's thinking anything and then Jesus shows up and says, here, everybody, let me tell you what to think. No, everybody else had their ideas about how to be faithful to God in their world. And I don't want to nerd out too much, but I want to give you a little bit of the background so that you can understand some of what Jesus says in this sermon and so that we can also start to identify similar voices in our lives today. Because in their day, Jesus shows up and he's talking to people who are trying to figure out how to be faithful to God in a specific situation. For them, it had a lot to do with the fact that Rome was now running the world. They thought they were supposed to be in charge under God's authority, but Rome's running the world. What are we going to do? And there were some voices in their world that says, well, you got to compromise. If life gives you lemons, make lemonade, you know? So Rome is here. There's nothing we can do about it. So we might as well do the best we can. Other people call them sellouts, but they, they're looking at it like, no, we're just, hey, we're taking the opportunities that are available. So we compromise with the world so that we can live as comfortably as possible as long as we're here. There were others who said, no, 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 no. It's not about compromising. You got to withdraw. The, the whole system is corrupt. Rome is corrupt. The temple is corrupt. Jerusalem is corrupt. So we're going to live out here in the desert where the only people we have to look at are ourselves. And the only people we have to listen to are, you know, our own voices. And we're just going to wait for God to destroy everything and then start over with us. We create a spiritual ghetto where we hang out with only our own kind. Still other voices were like, no, you're both actually wrong. We're not supposed to compromise with the world, but we're also not supposed to run and hide. We're supposed to fight. These are the zealots of the day. And in their mind, it's like God is waiting for us to step up and take some action. So they would like assassinate unfaithful Jewish leaders and they try to start revolutions against the Romans because they believe if we just step up and fight, then God's gonna help us out. And there were still other voices, the Pharisees over here. You've heard of them. They were looking at this going, you're all kind of missing the point. The reason why we're in the situation we're in is because we were unfaithful to God. And so he has abandoned us to authority under Rome. Now, if we would just repent and purify by following all the rules, then God would bless us and he would restore us and he would fix things. And in their mind, you've got to get rid of all the people who are imperfect and you've got to live as perfectly as you possibly can if you want God to be nice to you, if you want God to take care of you, if you want God to deliver you from the situation you're in. So those are the voices in Jesus's world. And honestly, it's not hard to identify compromise, withdraw, fight, purify by following the rules in our own world as well. And Jesus speaks into this and says, nope, let me tell you all the way it's actually supposed to be. So what is Jesus's program all about? If it's not to compromise or withdraw or to fight or to purify by following the rules, what is it that we're supposed to do? And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. That's what this teaching in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 lays out for us. Now today, we're going to spend the next, uh, I don't know, couple of months walking through the specifics. But today kind of paints the big picture for us. We're going to spend the next little bit looking at, um, this, honestly, some pretty concrete teachings. For those of you who love when the Bible is very clear about what we're supposed to do, you're going to love the next couple of months, I think. I mean, the things that, fair warning, Jesus tells you to do aren't easy, but it's very clear. But today is actually, before we get to that, let's back up and let's ask, is this what we're ready for? He's going to ask us for commitment to take the journey. He's going to describe the journey a little bit and ask us to come along. And my goal today is pretty simple. I want to clarify for you the kind of life that Jesus is calling you to so that you can make an informed decision about whether you want to follow him instead of someone else. You ever um, say like, uh, maybe to your kids, you're about to take, maybe you're about to take your kids to their first ever football game. You love football. They grew up with football. Maybe you're going to take them to an NFL game. I don't know. Maybe they love the Chiefs or the Cowboys or whatever. And you sit them down and you're like, okay, listen, 
Like I know, I know you, you think going to a Chiefs game is going to be cool, but you need to understand it's going to be cold like freezing cold and it's going to be loud and there's going to, people are going to be throwing beer on you and you're going to hear words that you don't normally hear, right? Like it's just, let me just make sure you understand what this is going to be like. Are you sure you want to go? You ever do that with somebody, like a friend or a kid or something like that? You can even understand it anyway. That's what I feel like Jesus is doing in this section. Let me help y'all understand what it is that we're trying to do. You can decide if you want to stay on board. So let's look at the text. Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to back up and actually start reading verse 13 and read on through verse 20. So let's take this thing as a whole and then we'll pull it apart piece by piece. Matthew 5, 13, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me try to summarize for you what I think we see here from this text. If I'm trying to put in one sentence, what I think we see is that Jesus calls us to live inside out loud. That's a weird phrase. Okay, we're going to make this phrase up. And it's a combination of two common phrases. And I think we'll pull it together and you see what Jesus is calling us to. He calls us to live inside out loud. What the heck does that mean? Well, start at the back end. He calls us to live out loud. He calls us to live in such a way that our lives draw other people's attention to God in a good way. Live out loud. But the way we do that is by living inside out, that we let him actually change us from the inside so that our hearts and therefore our lives are transformed. So Jesus calls us to live inside out loud. I want to break this down a little bit further and look at some of what Jesus says about what this means. So let's start with that back half. It's the first part of the text, back half of our phrase. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Jesus calls us to live out loud. Now, the key idea here is impact or or witness. I want my life to make an impact. I want my life to be a witness. When people look at the way I live, I want them to see that there's a good God who loves us and has transformed us so that we do good things. We live life the way it's supposed to be. Now, this is important for me. I don't know know how you think. I don't know how you operate. I know we're all different in certain ways. But for many of us, uh, just being a good little boy or being a good little girl is not enough. It's not necessarily attractive. When people say, just be good for goodness sake, why? Like, that's not a very good reason. And I want you to see clearly, no question, Jesus calls us to be good, to do good. But there's a couple things we can't miss. One thing we can't miss is that we're not just talking about petty moralistic rules. It's not just, you know, avoid all the four-letter words. You know, wear clothes that are nice enough for you to get into a nice restaurant or a fancy funeral. That's not what Jesus is talking about. When he says good deeds, I don't know what you think of. He says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I don't know what comes to mind for you when he says good deeds. 
but I'm pretty sure I know what Jesus was talking about. He's talking about things that make a positive, God-centered impact on the people around you. He's talking about speaking words of encouragement to people who are hurting. He's talking about using your financial resources to help other people enjoy God's blessings, not just yourself. He's talking about hospitality. Open up your home or your office to those who need some space. In Jesus' world, they would have thought about doing things like visiting those who were sick and needed somebody to take care of them. Or maybe in, in the community, there was a young couple who just got married and we're going to help them get on their feet, make sure they know what they're doing, make sure they have what they need to do well. Taking care of widows, taking care of orphans. We're not just talking about following a list of religious rules. We're talking about acts of mercy and compassion and justice and unity, seeing the problems in our world and, and stepping up in some way. And so it's not just about sort of petty moral rules. It's about actually living the kind of life and taking care of each other in a way that God's designed. And it's also not just good for goodness sake. It's good for the sake of the glory of God. Notice the purpose to this. This is huge again for me personally. It's not just be good. Why? Because. No, it's be good. Why? Because when you're good, people actually see that God is good and they're drawn into a life-giving relationship with him like the one that you enjoy. So there's a purpose behind this, to live out loud. Now, some of y'all have been hanging out with the Bible for a while and so you're thinking to yourself, maybe you're thinking to yourself, this sounds familiar. Like this sounds like the way Israel was supposed to live in the Old Testament. So God calls one nation and sets them apart from all the other nations so that they could follow the laws and show the world a better way. And you're right. That's precisely what's going on. Jesus here is calling us to fulfill the mission that God gave his people when he called them a people. There's a number of passages we could look at. I just picked one. Let me, let me show you one from Deuteronomy chapter 4. If you're a fast turner, you can find it. Otherwise, let me just read it for you. You can write it down and read it later. In Deuteronomy, Moses is, is reminding his people of the law, God's people of the law. And he says in Deuteronomy 4, 5, See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today? So the idea is that God gives his people instructions so that they can live a better way and others will look on and say, I want a piece of whatever it is they're eating. I want a piece of whatever it is they're worshiping because something's going on there. Now, the way Jesus frames this up sort of gives us a lot of different things to think about, works in multiple ways. It says, salt of the earth, light of the world. What does that mean? Salt of the earth, light of the world. Now, salt could mean a number of different things, had a lot of different purposes in the ancient world. The main one, and I think the one Jesus is talking about, is that salt, salt preserves what is good. So if, I mean, they don't have refrigeration. So if the meat, you know, needs to be preserved, it's kind of going not so great in this area, but pack some salt on there and preserve that. Make sure that it like stays good. That I think is the main idea here. And so the idea in terms of a way of life is that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we run to the mess. So I see there's an emotional mess. I'm not going to run away. There's a social mess or there's a physical mess. I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to run away from the problems. I'm going to run to the problem. I'm going to do something about it. I heard this story about a guy who I think epitomizes salt of the earth. A couple of, about a month ago or so, 
I was talking to a lady who works as a counselor for young women who, or any women who experience pregnancies in not the best of situations. And so she had this girl come in and this girl had gotten pregnant and she was running from her mom. They were having a lot of conflict because if I go home, my mom's going to make me have an abortion and I don't want to have an abortion. I want to have this baby. And so she said, well, listen, I I can only do what I can do, but let me connect you with the authorities. And she knew of this police officer who was, she knew he was a God-fearing man. He was a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving guy. And he was a good cop, right? Good police officer. And so she sent her to him. And the police officer comes in and says, listen, again, I, I can only do what the law prescribes, but tell me the situation. What's wrong? She says, well, if I go home, my mom's going to make me do something that I don't believe is the right thing to do. And he says, okay, that's all I need to hear. So he put her in protective custody and put some other people around to kind of help them work through this. And he did his job. He would tell you he's doing nothing special. Did his job. So she goes through the process and about a year passes. And uh, this woman who was telling me the story says, I'm going to the gas station and I run into that girl. And I'm like, how's it going? How you doing? And she says, I'm doing great. Let me tell you the story. And so she pulls her into the bathroom at the gas station to tell her the story of what went down. And she explains how they helped her and her mom work through things. And they agreed, I'm going to have the baby and put it up for adoption. And this was some time ago, like before you actually meet the family ahead of time. She said, so I had this list of names and some profiles. And I picked a family. And the moment they, they opened the door and this family walks in and I'm about to hand them my baby. Guess who it was? It was that police officer who first helped me out of this situation. He and his wife had decided they wanted to adopt a baby and I gave them my child. That's awesome. And that's the salt of the earth. You can't plan this stuff. This guy's just a guy, and apparently his wife too. They're the kind of people who see something that's not great and they move toward it so that they can help however they can. That's what it means to be salt of the earth. Preserve, preserve, fix, heal what you can. Light of the world. What does light do? Helps you see. And this metaphor of light is used throughout the Bible to describe seeing the truth about God. So it's the kind of life that says, I'm not going to hide this. I'm not going to be obnoxious, but I'm not going to hide this. I'm going to let it be seen so that other people might look at my life and discover the truth about God. Now, this all sounds great, right? But you've got to be careful to note Jesus' tone. You did catch that, right? He's in warning mode. You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, geez, Jesus, chill out a little bit, you know? It's no longer good for anything. You just got to throw it out and stomp on it. You're the light of the world, but you can't hide a light under a bowl. Why is he doing this? Because he's speaking against the very same voices we talked about earlier. And he's saying they're missing the point, and they're missing the point, and all y'all are missing the point. You're not preserving your own traditions, and you're not reaching out to those outside of you. You're missing it. And I think at this point, For being honest, these teachings should kind of jolt us a little bit. Because I don't know about you, but I hear this, and it's, oh, that's such a wonderful idea. Taking care of people in need, and being the salt of the earth, and the light of the world, and showing people what God is like. And I have to back up and remember, (laughs) it's not an idea. It's a calling. It's a calling we're supposed to take personally. We read this text, and we should ask questions of ourselves. Like, how bright is my light shining, and for whose benefit? Some of us are embarrassed about our faith, if we're being honest. We're more likely to hype our team or our company or, or really anything, our school, our logo, more than our God. And yet he's here saying, won't you live in such a way that they can see the truth about me? So let me ask you, if people interpreted your life in an attempt to discover what God is like, what would they find? And maybe there's a good answer. I hope so. I don't doubt it. I just think it's a worthwhile question. What would they discover? Somebody's looking at my life to try to figure out who God is. And how's our saltiness? 
I got a friend who used to say all the time, if we're the salt of the earth, we got an awful lot of shaking to do, which is a little bit silly, but at the same time, true, true. Jesus is calling us to run to the messes. Do you do that? And do something about them. Is that your story? So salt of the earth, light of the world, live out loud. But this is only half of it. And honestly, if you stick with just this half, I think it's kind of dangerous personally. If you say, I'm going to live my life in such a way that other people can see God, and that's as far as you get, I'm a little bit worried. Because if your whole goal is for other people to look at you and see something awesome, then you're going to become preoccupied with looking awesome, right? If your whole goal is, I want them to see something, then there's a danger because you might just be concerned with appearances. I got to look good, got to look right, got to look holy. And that's why the other part of this is so critical too. Because it's not just living out loud, it's also that Jesus calls us to live inside out. If the main idea of the first part is making an impact, then the key idea here is transformation. If you walk this path with Jesus, here's what I'm saying. If you follow Jesus and put into practice the things he says, you need to understand he's going to mess with you, not just on the surface. He's going to mess with you because he wants to put you back together again down deep in your character, in your heart. He says in the second half of this passage, don't think I've come to abolish the Old Testament. I come to fulfill it. Matter of fact, if your righteousness doesn't surpass that of the Pharisees, you don't even have a place in this kingdom. What's Jesus talking about? Why is he saying this? Well, basically what he recognizes is he just gave us the mission of Israel. He's just given his followers the mission that God gave his people. And you might be tempted to think, does that mean we're just throwing away the Old Testament? No, Jesus says, not at all. Does that mean we're just throwing away the law and starting with something else? (laughs) No. He says, I'm going to turn you into the kind of people who follow all the laws. I'm just calling you to actually live it out. I'm calling you to actually live it out in such a way that makes an impact. He says, righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees. Man, if you were living in that world, that would surprise you. If you think about the Pharisees now, if you know who they are now, you think about them as bad guys, right? Like they're the Westboro Baptist people. They're just, you know, nobody wants to be like them. And I mean, we have a point because Jesus often talks about them as being not so great. But in that day, they were the most respected. They were the people that not only knew the Bible, but tried to follow it to a T. At least that's what they would say. This hit home for me. Here's the, you're not going to outfollow, outrule follow a Pharisee. It's not going to happen. This hit home for me about a month ago. I was, um, had a chance to be in Jerusalem, and we were at this hotel on the Sabbath, and they're like, um, don't use that elevator. And we're like, why? And they're like, it's the Sabbath elevator. What's a Sabbath elevator? Does it mean you get to take a nap as you go up? Like, what's the deal? You know, Sabbath's all about rest. Maybe that's it. And they said, no, it's going to take you forever because that elevator stops and opens at every floor up and down. Well, why? Well, because like the ultra-Orthodox Jews believe that you're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. And so they wouldn't even reach out and push the button. Thus, Sabbath elevator. Therefore, trust me, you don't want to take it. And I'm thinking about that going, man, that is a commitment to following the rules if I've ever seen it. And I'm not trying to be harsh, but Jesus looks at this and says, if your righteousness doesn't surpass that, forget about it. Because he's not just talking about what you see on the outside. He's talking about what you see underneath. He's not just talking about cleaning the outside of the dish. He's talking about soaking the inside as well. Let me give you another way he puts it over in the Gospel of Luke. He says in a similar context, Luke 6, 43 through 45, says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Think about a tree. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, 
And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. In other words, whatever's on the inside will make its way out, and I'm interested with what's going on on the inside. You need to know that Jesus is not just interested in changing your external behavior so you fit better in church. That is not his goal, to make you a good religious little boy or a good religious little girl or a good religious big boy or a good religious big girl, whatever. He's not interested in turning you into people who are really good at following the rules. He wants to change you from the inside out. Now, will this impact your behavior? Of course it will. It'll impact everything. And you'll become the kind of person who just naturally follows the law, all of it, because you're different underneath. Just makes sense. Think about it. What's the best way to make an impact in the world? Consistently do good things. What's the best way to consistently do good things? Be changed from the inside out. So here's the question. Jesus calls us to live inside out loud. Here's the question. Do you want it? Do you want Jesus to do this? For real, it's, all, it's, a, it's a question only you can answer because we've just been sort of wasting the last 25 minutes if you don't engage precisely at this point. Will you let Jesus change you from the inside out so that you become the kind of person who lives in such a way that when people look at you, they want God? And you know, everybody, you ever notice everybody seems to have an opinion about how you should live your life? Even as adults, people still want to tell us how to live our lives. Even the people who say, do whatever makes you happy are expressing an opinion about how you should live your life. And it's usually followed with, and this product will make you happy. (laughs) And Jesus cuts through the noise, man. Seems like every week, every day really, we gotta decide which voice we're gonna listen to, which teacher we're gonna trust. So I just got two simple challenges for you as you head out of here this week. Identify the competitors. What are the voices in your life that are trying to get in the way of Jesus' voice? What are the competitors, your industry, Is it your family history? Is it your political allegiance? Is it your own personal story? What what are the voices? Is it a philosopher? Is it an author? Who is it that's telling you how to live that that might compete with Jesus? I want you to identify who they are. You can think this through. And then I want you to renew your commitment to Jesus. Right there between you and him, renew your commitment to be a person who follows you. I want you to say, not to me, I want you to say to Jesus, I will actually listen to how you tell me to live my life. I will let you be my teacher. I will sit at your feet. Let me pray. Father God, thanks for the opportunity for us to come together and to study your word. I pray, God, that its message is clear, that Jesus' voice is the one that we hear. Help us, Jesus, to uh, see you clearly. Help us to see you clearly enough to trust that you're worth following. And uh, this week, help us to think through and to make an honest decision about whether or not we want to commit to letting you tell us how to live. We pray these things in your name. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.